Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Clode Code, where we help you suffocate your bullshit and reclaim your life. And you guys, today, um, I have a very special guest on today. His name is Ben Azadi. If you don't follow him on Instagram, go do that ASAP. Um, Ben, I would love for you to introduce yourself a little bit. Let everybody know who you are and what you do. Thank you, Claude. Uh, the Claude Code, that makes a lot more sense now that I know how to pronounce your name properly. <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I love it. That's a great name. Um, Thank so yeah, you. thanks for having me first and foremost. My, my name is Ben Azadi, and I am the best-selling author of four books. My latest book is called Keto Flex, which teaches uh, how to use ketosis as a tool to achieve metabolic flexibility. And my company is called Keto Camp. We have our Keto Camp podcast, a YouTube channel. Our mission is to educate and to inspire a billion people to wake them up to get their to help them get their power back and control over their their body which is has this innate ability to heal itself and our goal is to inspire people to adapt that same philosophy. I love that so much. And one of the things that I I always love the most about people with stories like or with success like yours is knowing their story. So um I know that you at one point were obese yourself um and that you lost 80 pounds. So I kind of I want to ask you, like, first of all, what led to your obesity and what was the defining moment where you were like, okay, I need to change. Mm, yeah. So what led to my obesity? It was a, a combination of a lot of bad habits, uh, which compounded in a, in a negative direction. But the ultimate reason why that happened was I didn't take responsibility and ownership over my health and circumstances. I was a victim and I, I didn't have any purpose. I didn't have any goals or highest values. And there's a quote from a, a gentleman named Robert Heinlein. He said, in the absence of clearly defined goals, we become strangely loyal to performing daily trivia until ultimately we become enslaved by that daily trivia. Wow. So I was not clear on my goals. So I substituted that with energy into daily trivia. So my daily trivia was addictions to drugs, addictions to video games, addictions to sugar, and uh, other things that abuse my body, toxic relationships. So I ate a standard American diet like most people do. And I was very unhealthy growing up. As you mentioned, I was obese physically, but also mentally obese. Mm -hmm. And nothing changed until I was uh, rock bottom in 2008, ready to give up on life, exploring suicide, exploring just ending the suffering once and for all. And the only reason I did not go through with it was because I was thinking about my mom. I didn't want to, I didn't want to hurt my mom. I didn't want her to cry and be sad about her son taking his life. So it stopped me. And that was the only reason that I, I didn't go through with it. Uh, so at this point, I was 24 years old back then. I knew I had to figure something out. And the starting point was actually picking up books and starting to read books. Um, I read books from authors like Dr. Wayne Dyer, who said, when mm. you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And he also said things like, hey, if other people are the cause of your problems, you would have to hire, hire a psychiatrist for the rest of the world in order for you to get better, right? <laughs> Meaning you're not taking responsibility. Like it's funny and it's like, it it stings yeah. you because it's so true. Uh, and then Tony Robbins and Bob Proctor and all these incredible authors. So the books did so much for me, but the number one thing, it helped me take ownership and responsibility. And you can't be a victim and take responsibility at the same time. And most people don't even understand that word responsibility. And to me, it means it's your ability to respond to life, your ability to respond to circumstances and, and people in your life. And my ability to respond to life 
up until that point, Claude was really poor. I was yeah. the victim of my genetics. I was the victim of my enabling family members and slow metabolism. But when you become the victor, that goes away. So it started with the ownership. And nine months later, I lost 80 pounds. I went from 34% body fat to as low as 6% body fat. Completely transformed my physical appearance with a, with a physical six-pack, but even more important, a mental six-pack and what it did for my mental health. And my, my thoughts started to become more gra grateful thoughts and positive, abundant thoughts. So that was 15 years ago. And ever since then, wow. I've been in the health space. Uh, I was a personal trainer. I had a CrossFit gym. I sold that. And you know, ever since then, I've been just learning and being a student of life and, and teaching it to as many people as possible. That is fucking awesome. And you you said something really uh, key in, while you were talking and something about genetics. Yeah. And I think a lot of people blame genetics on their problems, their health problems. And I would love to know your thoughts on that because I feel like mindset, like you said, once you take responsibility, once you can view something differently, change your perspective, that like not even genetics can win my health battle. That's right, 100%. Blaming genetics is playing the victim card. We have, we have an obesity crisis in America. Harvard put out an article projecting that by the year 2030, 50% of American adults will be obese, not just overweight, but obese. Then you have, I know, people from the government going on the show 60 Minutes just earlier this year saying the obesity problem is a genetic problem. They just have bad luck or blah, blah, blah. It's a victim mindset. Genetics obviously play a role. Uh, I'm not saying, you know, your gene to dismiss them. They're, they're the blueprint. But somebody chooses whether or not to read the blueprint. And that is you, your decisions you make. You know, there's a saying that genetics load the gun, you pull the trigger. So in terms of the percentage of what is strictly just genetics with your results and your health, 1%. That means 99% of your results with your health is epigenetics, meaning the expression of certain genes. I was never taught growing up that I could turn off genes. I could turn off bad genes and turn on good genes. We're not taught that, right? That is a reality. There's a there's a gentleman named Dr. Bruce Lipton, who's a world-renowned cell biologist who has proven this, and others have proven this time after time. The environment determines an expression of your gene. So the foods you eat, the thoughts you think, the people in your life, these are all factoring into whether or not you're turning on bad genes or turning them off. Wow. So if you want to blame genetics, it's only 1% responsible for your health and your results. See, I thought it was 30% up until you said that. So thank you. That's even worse. Yeah, it's worse. Exactly. It's 99% <laughs> epigenetics. Oh my God. Oh, okay. So let's, let's dive in to this expert topic of yours, keto. How did you find keto to begin with? And did you do clean keto at first or were you doing just regular old keto? Regular old dirty keto, the, the dirty good old keto. dirty keto. Yeah. Okay. So I found it in uh, 2014. I started to look up different tools for health and I, did, I came across ketosis and the ketogenic diet. Back then it wasn't as popular, of course, as it is now. So um, I was transitioning actually away from a vegan diet. Ah. I did. I know I did a plant-based diet for a year and a half and it did numbers in a negative way on my health. So that's when I was exploring, okay, what's next? And then I discovered keto and intermittent fasting at the same time. So I did them together and I got amazing results. Even with dirty keto, I got some good results and I, I learned a lot of lessons. Number one, there are many ways to do keto. Number two, <laughs> keto is not a diet. It's a metabolic process. 
Number three, there's nothing new about keto. It's just nuanced. It's actually been around forever. It's a metabolic process. So the keto started the first time a human was born into this world. And that was a very long time ago because it's just a metabolic process. Okay. And then and number four, there's yeah. a difference between healthy fats on keto and unhealthy fats. Uh, and we want to make sure we're eating the right fats. So there's a lot to unpack there, but those were some of the lessons I learned uh, early on with doing keto. Awesome. And and speaking of healthy fats, besides avocado, what are some of your favorites? Yeah, avocados are great. Avocado oil is terrific. Uh, okay. Olives, olive oil, coconut, coconut oil, butter, ghee, beef tallow, even, even things like bacon and pork. If it's from a quality pig that's like organic pasture raised, that could be totally fine too if you eat pork. Oh. Beef, you know, beef is, is terrific. I like goat and sheep cheese over da- uh, cow dairy. Um, and there's other spectrums out there, but those are a good staple and they're all delicious, right? So you, you don't have to restrict yourself. It tastes pretty damn good to do keto. Yeah. I mean, I have come across a few clients who have, um, alert, not allergies, but like sensitivities to avocado, which becomes a little challenging to get yeah. the amount of healthy fat you need during the day. But, um, I'm obsessed with avocados, so that's good. <laughs> yeah. I love avocados and you're right. Some people are either have like a histamine intolerance to it because they're a little bit higher in histamines and they, they they would for sure stay away from avocado, avocado oil. But then you have us who could actually have it and avocados are great. It has phytosterols, which is great for inflammation. It has B vitamins, uh, which is great for stress. And, and it tastes pretty damn good. I mean, I could go through many avocados in one sitting if I wanted to. Same. Yeah. Same. <laughs> um, how, okay. This, I love when you talk about this, I would love for you to explain a little bit more metabolic flexibility and efficiency. Now mm-hmm. I hear a lot of people are like, oh, I have slow metabolism, you know, or, oh, I have fast metabolism. Is that correct? And can you explain a little bit more what you mean by metabolic flexibility? You've done your homework. I love it. Good job. Great question. Yeah. Oh, I would never stand here and sit here in front of you and not know my shit about you, Ben. Okay. I love it. I love it. Well, <laughs> you're right. We don't, the metabolism doesn't work in speeds. And this is something I've learned over the years. It's, it's either efficient or inefficient. It's not fast or slow. Technically it's just efficient or inefficient. So metabolic flexibility is the ultimate goal. Uh, what does that exactly mean? That means your mitochondria, which are these energy factories that do a lot more than just produce energy, but they're very important. When your mitochondria are healthy and when your metabolism is is healthy, the mitochondria have the ability to use sugar and glucose when it needs to, and then Mm -hmm. fat and ketones when it needs to, and it could go back and forth without a hiccup and you thrive. That is metabolic flexibility. Now, most Americans, 93% studies show, 93% of American adults are sugar burners. They're metabolically inefficient and their their mitochondria are only burning sugar and glucose, which is a fast way to age yourself. So I call these people, um, they're in a keto deficiency. They ha- That's their real problem. They actually need keto to balance this out. And we use keto to balance this out. Oh, wow. Okay. So when you say you use keto, so how do you like, I also use it as a tool, right? And I, I never recommend longer than three months maybe some keto cycling, but when somebody let's say is just starting, like how do you recommend to go about it? How long to do it? And then when to reintroduce carbs? Yeah, it's it's a very um, good question. And it's also 
so different, but depending on the person, right? So I'll give some general things that we do. Um, I like that idea of three months. I think that's a good a good time frame for okay, let's get you in ketosis, leave you there for three months, get you fat adapted, keto adapted, and then and then flex out. The only caveat there would be somebody does it for three months, but they're still uh, type two diabetic or insulin resistant. We might keep them in there a little bit longer as we still work on their metabolism. But if that's not the case, yeah, we'll flex them out. Okay. And uh, but in the beginning, we do a slow reduction in their total carbs and then a slow increase in protein and fat until we make that switch, which takes about seven days where they're now fat adapted and and in a state of ketosis. And of course we coach them on, you know, the healthy fats versus the unhealthy fats. After I feel comfortable that the person is now burning fat instead of sugar, which again takes about seven days, but for some people could take up to 21 days, but you could test your blood ketones to verify that. Yeah. Uh, Then we, we, pair that with intermittent fasting and different fasting strategies. It works really well with keto. Okay. And since you mentioned intermittent fasting, um, I I've heard of the benefits. I prefer longer fast, but can you maybe talk about the different or maybe the better benefits of intermittent fasting versus longer fasts? Yeah. Longer fasts will get more deep healing. Uh, and there's a time and place for longer fast for sure. Okay. I, I would, I would probably classify a longer fast as 48 hours or more would be like a, a longer fast in my book. And anything oh. underneath that would be more of an intermittent fast. Oh, even 36 hours. Yeah. I would still consider that kind of an intermittent fast. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now don't get me wrong. I mean, it's still a good amount of time to fast and you're getting a lot of deep healing, but more at 48 hours to three to five days is where you get like this max, uh, what's called autophagy, which you know about yeah. this cellular cleanup. But um, intermittent fasting is nature's reset button. It really is. It, it allows your body to take a break, allows your innate intelligence, this inner physician to do its job because it takes a lot of energy to process food, to digest food. And the brain is um, only 2% of the total body weight that we have, but it requires, it uses about 20% of the energy. And when we're eating a lot of food and eating it frequently and not fasting, a lot of that energy is being, being diverted away from the brain to digestion, mm-hmm. blood flow and resources. It's taken a lot of properties and processes to digest food. So when you take a break and fast, that energy is now being diverted back to the brain, back to healing, back to different areas that need to be healed. The body pulls fat from the liver, from the organs. It lower, it reduces visceral fat. This is organ fat that is really inflammatory. So amazing things happen with fasting. I love it. It's, it's a great tool, but like any tool, you got to use that tool the right way. Any A tool could help you. A tool could hurt you. It's how you use it. That is the most important way to do it. Okay. And what? how long do you recommend for intermittent fasting? Like what interval? An 18-6 daily works really well for people. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So 18 hours in a fasted state, six hours in a, in a feeding window. And having most of your meals earlier in the day is better than later in the day as well. So that would mean breakfast and lunch is better versus lunch and dinner and skipping breakfast. Okay. So probably within that six hour window, you can only eat twice. Yeah. If you're eating a lot of protein and fat, probably twice. Yeah. But if you do three times, that's okay too. The the number one goal is to get your protein requirement in that window. That's important to do. Wow. Oh, okay. Um, and there's caveats there, Claude. There's caveats there because like a woman, right? Uh, who has a menstrual cycle. The week before a period, I wouldn't recommend she does she do too much intermittent fasting. Uh, I would recommend maybe capping it at twelve or fourteen hours max, and getting it getting more meals until she has her cycle, and then that's a better week to practice more aggressive fasting. 
Now, is that because of the spike in testosterone or is that because of hormone? It's hormone related, more so uh, progesterone and estrogen, which you want to build up. Women who have a menstrual cycle want to build up before the the week before their period. And when you do a lot of uh, fasting or even a lot of keto that week, it depletes progesterone and estrogen and, and it results in more cravings for carbs and also a heavy period, heavy menstrual cramps, et cetera. Okay. Now, because of, because we know that, would you still recommend a woman go on keto who has diabetes, let's say, or something of that sort to go on it for three months? I do, because the goal is to get keto adapted and it takes about, you know, I could get somebody there probably in 45 days, but you know, three months is a good, it's a good average, but there's different ways to flex. Flex means you incorporate uh, a change in keto to flex out or do something to change things up. Okay. So let's say somebody is um, wanting to flex, but not with bumping up their carbs for whatever reason, food, uh, sugar addiction, or we don't want them to do it because they're type two diabetic. They could flex with a day of having excess calories and protein. So the different way to do it. Uh, so yes, yeah, so you could still do it, get, get those hormonal conversions that we need with excess protein, excess calories on that day. Okay. And that will keep them in ketosis or you're saying it's not? It, it will keep them in ketosis and they still should make a lot of these hormonal conversions. Yeah. Oh, I'm learning so much. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. Um, ooh, love this. Seed oils. You're probably like, oh gosh, we're talking about that again. But like, So many people, Ben, still don't understand that these seed oils are hidden in almost every box food at restaurants. Um, I want, I wanted to ask you, why are they so bad and how do we avoid this at restaurants? Yeah, I know. I love talking about this. So I'm not, no, I'm not not bored about it. Oh, good. And it's important. Uh, I would, I would say that not all seed oils are bad. What makes them bad is the processing of them. They end up adultering these seed oils. So, but the majority of seed oils are processed this way. So in general, seed oils are bad, but there are always caveats here because if they they are processed the right way, they're not bad, but that's really rare. So the problem with seed oils, number one, when they process the vegetable oil, which is a seed oil. So let's say it's corn and they want to get the oil. They extract it by high heat temperatures and chemical detergents because it smells really bad and they want to get rid of that smell. And then the high heat, it helps extract it. So it makes it really inflammatory and unstable when you consume it. And then people buy it and they use it for cooking oils and they heat it up even more. It is very unstable. Your body can't use it. It is inflammatory and it sticks in your body for a very long time. The half-life is 680 days. Ah. Yeah. Meaning if you remove them today, 680 days later, half of them will still be in your body fat creating inflammation. That's why they're so bad. They're at Whole Foods supermarket. They're at all your restaurants. They are called polyunsaturated fatty acids. The word poly means um, many, and it means the chemical structure has many double bonds, which makes it very unstable. So we don't want to heat them. We want to use them that way. Uh, We want to avoid them as much as possible. Wow. Should I give your audience a list of the eight of them? Please. I saw your reel, but tell them. Yeah, there are eight of them. Dr. Kate Shanahan, my colleague, calls them the hateful eight. So canola, corn, and cottonseed oil, soybean, safflower, sunflower oil, rice bran oil, and grapeseed oil. 
those are the eight seed oils we want to avoid as much as possible. Okay. And palm oil, not in there. So, so palm oil is not considered uh, one of these bad oils. However, to make palm oil is usually really detrimental to the environment. They cut down a lot of palm trees and deplete a lot of our um, environment to do it. So if you're going to do palm oil, make sure it's sustainably sourced and organic, and then it's okay. And and okay. and you're not going to cook with it. You're going to use it more for like, you know, your coffee and tea, salad dressings, et cetera. Okay. I found that it's in a lot of like cashew butters, almond, almond butters, you know, they stick that palm oil in there. Yeah, correct. Those are typically the, uh, the ones that are bad for the environment, unless Figure. it says organic sustainably source. If it says that, that's fine then. Okay. Um, and I know that you did this thing with like a card, like an allergy card. Yeah. For everybody. Um, is that your, like, I, I wrote here how to avoid at restaurants, you know, because sometimes I know a lot of my clients travel, I travel and I, I always know, I'm like, I know I'm eating some kind of fucked up seed oil right now. Yeah. Um, aside from the card, like, do you just ask, can you please cook my food in butter? Mm -hmm. That's the best thing. That's what I personally do, but I still use the card. Um, you, okay. well, I don't say, can you cook my food in butter? I, I used to do that. But instead, I say I'm allergic to these vegetable oils. Ah. Then they pay attention because the restaurant doesn't want to get sued. But the card makes it easy because on there, I, I actually have it and I give it to the server. And on there, it shows those eight ones that I mentioned, the hateful eight. Can't use that. I'm allergic to those. And then below it, the approved oils as a substitute. So I just say, hey, if you want to show it to the chef, here you go. You can keep it if you want. And uh, I made that available for anybody to get. Um, and yeah. you can get it over at seedoilcard.com, seedoilcard.com. And what will happen, you'll give me your uh, name and email, and then I will send you a PDF download for the seed oil card. And you'll just save it as an image on, image on your phone and then show that to the server. Uh, and that will really help. Um, that's one way. Or you could just say you're allergic and explain the oils to them. But either way it would work. But this makes it very easy for them to uh, accommodate you. Okay, perfect. Um, carbs. Now we all know ketogenic means we remove starches from the diet, right? So we get most of our carbs from veggies, a small amount of fruit. Um, there's just so much like people who train really hard, you know, uh, who do like CrossFit. They're like, you need carbs. You have to have carbs. Ben, do we need carbs as human beings? Yeah, it's a good question. <laughs> There's no such thing as essential car carbohydrates. Um, mm. There are there are essential proteins, essential amino acids. There are essential fatty acids, essential fats. There's no such thing in med in any medical textbook that says there are essential carbohydrates. So, no, we don't need carbs to survive. We don't need carbs at all. We could, we could survive without it. However, it doesn't mean we should never have carbs. There's a time and place for it. There's, it could help with certain things and we use it strategically, but no, we don't need it. Uh, the body could actually make, cause here's the argument, but Ben, the brain needs glucose to function. That's what, you know, your dietitian or nutritionist is going to tell you if you tell them what I just said. And you'll say, you're right. But did you know that the body can make that glucose from protein and fat? It's called gluconeogenesis. So you can make it from the protein you have in your body, the protein you eat from food, the fat you have in your body, the fat you eat in your food. It makes enough glucose for that brain to thrive with the ketones. So yes, you always need glucose, but you don't have to eat the glucose to get the necessary function that you're desiring. Love that. 
And what about people who think they need it for building muscle? It could help with that, but there's a okay. difference. There's there's a disconnect between performance gains and muscle building and health and longevity, right? Sometimes they're not synonymous. And I used to own a CrossFit gym and I used to get a lot of slack because I was teaching uh, keto and intermittent fasting in 2014, 15, 16 back then. Wow. I didn't understand that. So you could still build muscle with adequate protein, healthy fats, keto, fasting, good sleep, et cetera, you know, strength training and get the health and longevity benefits you're seeking. So it depends on what you're looking for. If you're just looking for some quick gains in the gym, carbs can help you do that. They're right. But are you sacrificing health and longevity on the back end? You might be, you might be. Oh, I love that explanation so much. It's perfect. Perfect. <laughs> um, how, oh, this is a good one. So I noticed and have read some things on like, if you do keto for too long, your sleep starts to suffer a little bit. Like something about you do drain all the glycogen stores out of your body and that can like disrupt your sleep. Uh, what are your thoughts on that and anything to do to help with that? Yeah, I mean, keto long-term is problematic for many reasons, including okay. the sleep, right? Um, but let's say it's happening during those first three months, uh, which it can happen. Some people do struggle with sleep when they're doing keto in the right amount of time, there are some things you can do. You can take a tablespoon of coconut oil right before bed or MCT oil right before bed, and it actually helps with your sleep. Uh, it gives you it gives you a bump of ketones. It gives the brain a little bit of a fuel source. It doesn't break a fast. It's just fat. So you can do that. Uh, I've also had some people have um, just a little bit of raw honey right before bed, either <clears throat> with the coconut oil or MCT oil or without it. And that gives the brain enough glucose to, you know, do its thing and, and stay asleep at night. But it would be a little bit like less than a teaspoon because you don't want to get yourself out of ketosis. So yeah, that, that could work. And then, you know, taking magnesium is always important and other sleep supplements you could do. But in terms of what we can do with keto and sleep, sleep issues, the coconut oil, MCT oil and or raw honey could do the trick as well. Okay. And you said how much of the coconut oil? A tablespoon of the coconut oil or MCT oil and okay. a teaspoon or less of the raw honey. It needs to be raw honey, not regular honey. Okay. Or it'll throw you out of the fast, out of keto. Not, not that it will throw you out of ketosis, but it won't have the same effect that we're looking for to, for sleep. Oh, okay. Ooh, I didn't know this then. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. Um, okay, one more question. Yeah. Okay, maybe two if there's time, but what mm -hmm. do you think is the biggest cause of poor mental and emotional health right now? Because mental health is this big topic that everybody is blaming a lot of things on. Yeah. But you talk a lot about this. And so what do you feel is the cause of it? There are many causes of it. I would okay. say the most important cause to focus on right now would be what I said at the beginning about lack of purpose, lack of goals. Because when you are clear on what's important to you, your highest values, and you align your life to be incongruent in with that, you're going to find that a lot of those mental issues, mental symptoms, if you will, go away. Symptoms, mental health symptoms, any symptom are not the problem. They are a gift actually from your innate intelligence showing you something is out of balance. Something is not aligned with your true values. There, There's a book that came out in the late 80s. It's called Recovering the Soul. I mean, just the title alone is like inspires me, like Recovering the Soul, right? Isn't that a, such an amazing title? 
Yeah. And the author, his name is Dr. Larry Dossie. He's a medical doctor. In the book, in, in this book, he has a study. And the study showed that in America, 85% of the time when somebody has their first heart attack, 85% of the time, it happens Monday morning between 8 and 9 a.m. What is the significance of that? That's when these people are going to jobs they hate. They're in their car. They're thinking about starting the work week. They're pissed off about their job. They're not living on purpose with their purpose. Heart attack, right? So it's so important to align with your highest values. And the coolest thing about that is that your highest values are unique to you, right? Being a mom and having children and that being your highest values, being the best mom for your kids, that's a worthy thing to do. And you align with that and kudos to you, right? It doesn't mean you have to be an entrepreneur, but if you want to be an entrepreneur like we are, and that's your highest values and you align with that, like kudos to you. Or maybe it's like being a, a soccer coach or I don't know, a teacher. Like if that's what you love and you align to that, like kudos to you, you're going to notice those symptoms go away. Not just mental health, but a lot of different things that you might be dealing with because now you're aligned with your highest values. The Greeks have um, a study of this. It's called telos, teleology. It's the study of your chief aim, your highest purpose. And Dr. John Martini, who's somebody I've had on my podcast twice, talks a lot about this. He has a book called The Highest Values. I have right back here. One of the best books you could read to determine your highest values. And then once you determine that, you start to live in congruent with that and you're unstoppable. If you think about it, you know, with people having chronic fatigue, I don't have the energy. I'm tired all the time. The issue is not necessarily with what you're eating. Now that will contribute to it. The main issue is that you're not aligned with your highest values because those same people that have that afternoon lull and that crash that hate their jobs might get a phone call on Friday night, even though they were tired all day. They get a phone call uh, Friday night, 7 p.m. Their girlfriend or boyfriend or, or best friend saying, hey, um, this person's in town. I know you're great friends with him. We're going to the club. You want to join us? All of a sudden you're energized because you're aligned with that value because you're now releasing energy. You don't need energy. You release the energy when you align with your highest values. So when you're aligned with your highest values, there's no need for energy boosters. There's no need for all these different things to boost your energy. You release the energy. You have it. It's in you. But it isn't until you align with your highest values that all of these amazing things start to happen. So that is the number one reason why we have symptoms in mental health. You're not incongruent with your highest values. And obesity is not about what people are eating. It's about what's eating them. It's about what they're not doing with their highest values. That, I love that. And I, the biggest win there is like, it is in your control because I think so many people think it's out here. Yeah. If you live in America, it is in your control. Yes. Or, a, you know, a country that's free is what I mean. Like it is in your control. Yes. 100%. That's beautiful. Ben, you are amazing. I'm going to selfishly ask you one last question and let you go. Is that okay? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Uh, your thoughts on autoimmune and like what you do in your personal practice to help your clients that have autoimmune, anything, Hashimoto's, diabetes. Yeah, autoimmune, most people have autoimmune and they don't even know it because it takes 10 to 15 years before the labs show you have autoimmune. And there's about 100 autoimmune conditions with another additional 40 associated to them. And if you have one autoimmune condition, high probability you have uh, many more. Um, 
I'm very familiar with autoimmune because I have autoimmune. I have Raynaud's and something called erythromyalgia, maybe something else that I'm not aware of, but I have done a lot of great things to keep my autoimmune symptoms at bay. Number one, living on purpose with my purpose, but there's, um, if I had like a thing, I would draw it free, but I'll just explain it. The way to understand autoimmune is with a three-legged stool. So I'm holding up three fingers, picture this as like a three-legged stool, right? Okay. So one leg of the stool is your DNA. We spoke about that. The genes. So you were born into this world with autoimmune genes. So that's one leg of the stool. The other leg, let's say the middle leg is we'll call stressors. And stressors are three different areas, mental, emotional, physical, and then chemical stressors. So like environmental toxins. The other leg of the stool is the gut microbiome. Yeah. So the, the principle here is that all three legs of the stool need to be sturdy for that stool to stand up. But if one leg is weak, it collapses, meaning you trigger the autoimmune gene. So the main focus, if you have autoimmune, is to focus on your stressors, like mental, emotional, physical, chemical, work on that. And that's so, you know, down a rabbit hole, it's very deep and unique to that person. But you work on your stressors, you work on the gut microbiome, that's where we use ketosis, carnivore diet, intermittent fasting, rotating probiotics, doing different things to create more diversity in your gut. And then for the genetic component, you uh, could take actually different supplements that help your body do the things you wanted to do that support your DNA and something called methylation. So as long as you're working on those three stools, you turn off the gene and then uh, your autoimmune is reversed. Like it's at bay. Uh, many years ago, my Raynaud's, Raynaud's is a, is a, is a autoimmune condition where you don't get enough blood flow to your extremities. So for example, when I used to like um, jump into a cold body of water or hold uh, uh, something that was cold for a minute or longer, all of my fingers would turn white and purple and the blood flow would go away. And it would be really painful and then it would come back. I would have to run it under hot water. And it would happen over and over and over, time after time. And then I started to adopt this three-legged stool principle. I worked on all three legs. And now it's pretty rare that I get a Raynaud's flare-up. Now, I, I will still get it. And you know what's interesting is that I get it more now with mental stress. It'll trigger mm -hmm. it than anything else, right? So that's something that you want to always work on. But with autoimmune, there is hope. Can reverse it. I wouldn't wait on your doctor to diagnose it. It's a symptom. And it's not the problem. It's a result of the problem. But work on the three legs of the stool and you'll find that your autoimmune is going to get much better. I love that so much. I mean, my audience knows that I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's after having my son, which like blew this massive like depression, anxiety. And it was probably living in me for a while. Um, but Rachel Shear, she helped me with all those things. Rachel's great. Yeah. She's actually um, flying in and uh, we're going to do an interview here in a couple of weeks. Oh, fun. Yeah. I love it. But she helped it. you. Sorry, I cut you off. She helped no. you with uh, some of the three-legged stool thing I was talking about. Yeah, gut yeah. microbiome, which is, you know, I never knew anything about any of those things until, of course, I was forced to find out. Yeah. And the doctors told me, you know, it's just there. There's nothing you can do. And so it's nice to hear. BS. Such B BS. Yeah. Um, I yeah, also. With, with, go ahead. Uh, what your story with the Hashimoto's after giving birth or autoimmune after giving birth, I can't tell you how common that is. And here's the reason why. I said the middle leg of the stool is stressors, mental, emotional, physical, and chemical. When you give birth, you touch upon all three of those stressors. Of course, I'm not, I've never given birth, but I imagine it's a mental stress, right? And then <laughs> physical, obviously. And then chemical, you actually release chemicals when you uh, lead and different metals come out of the body when you uh, when you give birth. So that's why it happened, right? That was a big reason why it happened. But now that you're working on it, like that 
advice that your doctor says and, and those listening, if your doctor's telling you, you can't reverse it, you just have to deal with it. It's BS. Okay. It's uh, you would, you know, what I would tell you is to tell them, actually, my condition's not terminal. Your ability to help me is terminal and go on to heal yourself. That's, that's what I call a 3% of mentality. Boom. I love that so much. Ben, <laughs> you are amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the Claude Code today and like loading my audience up with massive value and knowledge. You are incredible. Where can my Thank audience you. find you? Thank you, Claude. I appreciate that. My, uh, my website is benazadi.com. I have a podcast called the Keto Camp Podcast. Camp is spelled with the K. We have a lot of episodes. Uh, so there's a big catalog, 671 episodes in. <laughs> wow. And uh, we have our YouTube channel, which is Keto Camp on YouTube. But you can find all of that on my website, which is benazadi.com. Awesome, Ben. Thank you so, so much again. And I hope to talk to you soon. Thank you, Claude. I had a pleasure with you and we'll do round two for sure. Thank you for the great questions. Of course. Thank you.